0: We all need good habits, so with teenagers, what we want to do is sort of build the scaffolding for them for whatever it is that they're going to need to be able to do on their own when they eventually leave the nest.
1: That's Dr. Christine Carter, who is in the 30-Second Book Club this week with her book The New Adolescence, Raising Happy and Successful Teens in an Age of Anxiety. And distraction. My name is Andy. You're listening to the 30 Second Book Club podcast, a place for people who want to read more books and be in a book club but don't really have time to do either. It's really interesting. Right at the very beginning of the book, you talk about that our kids' adolescence is an opening and an invitation to shift how we spend our parenting time and energy and how you know, as, as stressful as you are, you think, okay, here come the teenage years, here come the teenage years. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for you as a parent as well. And to have some more self-care. I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's actually a really, uh, a really important aspect of parenting adolescence is um, shifting out of your role as their sort of chief of staff and um, managing all the things. You know, when they're really little, you have to manage everything. You have to manage their bedtimes. You have to tie their shoes for them. You have to make their food for them. You you, you really phys- – there's a lot of physical labor. And um, one of the most important shifts that can happen for an adolescent is that their um, parents step out of that role and um, engage in a different way, right? It's not disengaging from the life of your teenager, which I think a lot of um, parents not knowing what to do, sort of throw up their hands and just accept distance. I'm not saying accept distance. I'm saying shift your energy towards modeling the behaviors that you want your um, children to do so, you know, if you want them to get enough sleep, you know, as adults, we need to do this ourselves. If we want them to spend um, in-person time with their friends, sort of real-life connections, that that's the like opposite of get off your phone, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, if we want them to do that, we need to do that too. So, um, so this is. It's a great invitation to become a happier parent, basically, right? Like doing the things that we need to take care of ourselves is actually a very um, important way to influence your teenager. And um, it's not the only thing that we do, but it's it's perhaps the most delightful thing.
1: And you talked about it a little bit there. Um, you know a lot of parents become passive or permissive. and you talk about, the, the three types of parenting. I think this is really interesting. Authoritarian, permissive, and authoritative. Yes. Yeah, so d- d- dive into that a little bit more. And, you know, w- which one should we be?
0: Well, we should be authoritative. This is really confusing. And I, I, I always wish that somebody would invent better names for it. But I end up using the names that um, the labels that the the researchers use, because there is a lot of really good research about um, these three different parenting styles. So authoritarian is like the dictator. That's the sort of uh, what what we think of as the old school um, father role, sort of heavy-handed, controlling, just sort of tells kids uh, or teenagers what to do. Um, it's a low-warmth role. So, it, so authoritarian parents can be very controlling or directive, and um, don't tend to be very affectionate as well or warm. Um, You know, you don't necessarily have to be physically affectionate, but like the sort of warm emotionally. uh, so authoritarian, that's the first one sounds a lot like authoritative, which is what we want to be, which is, uh, and especially with, this is goes, this goes for kids of all ages, but it's especially with teenagers, really important to, to be, um, high in warmth, really warm and engaged emotionally. It can, that can mean physically affectionate as well, but, um, also, um, providing structure without being too controlling, right? So it's not stepping away from your role as a parent to provide support, to provide structure, to provide guidance. Um, That piece of it is there. It's just not as um, overtly directive. And then um, the the last one is the permissive parent. As a society, we've fallen into permissive parenting um, by far, this is the the biggest category, and it retains the warmth of the authoritative parent, um, but it removes the structure of um, of that parenting style. So it's the par- the permissive parent rarely says no, really wants to be liked, um, and is um, is worried. Tends to be a little bit anxious about what their kids. Um, think of
1: them. I thought this was kind of interesting. So, you know, talking about parenting and sometimes the, the biggest struggle about parenting is is you look at your kids and you think I've told my I've I've told my kids this. I say you have so many things that we didn't growing up. You've got I mean, I I, I played computer games and video games when I was a kid and you know, I was dial-up internet and <laughs> you know, and I go they yeah. you kids have your own computer, you've got your own phone. Uh, you talk about the happiness paradox. We think as parents, well, this should just make, make growing up so much easier. But that, I think it makes it harder as you talk about that happiness paradox.
0: Yeah, you know, it makes it a, I think it makes it a lot harder. And one of the things I didn't realize um, when I wrote Raising Happiness when my kids were littler is that um, one of the key components of happiness and just, you know, being content with your life is the ability to deal with discomfort and having all the, the devices and the gaming and everything. Um, it really reduces the amount of time kids spend being uncomfortable, basically. Right. If you're bored, you just play a game or if you're um if you're anxious, you can distract yourself with your phone or your iPad or whatever um, whatever might be there. And the problem with this um, is that you don't get to just numb the uncomfortable emotions like anxiety or discomfort or whatever you might be distracting yourself from. You know, um, because you don't get to selectively numb emotions. So when our kids Um, distract themselves from their anxiety or their boredom or whatever might be going on, um, they tend to also, uh, they they don't feel those emotions, they numb them. But then they also are numbing the positive emotions that might have been coming their way. So this is why it can be harder for kids today to feel gratitude, for example, for all that they have. Um, or to, um, feel, you know, things that are really important in life, a sense of hope or optimism or, um, or even control a sense of control over your own life. So, you know, their, their range of emotions is narrowed to like nothing really bad, but nothing really good either. And that makes us less happy.
1: So now let's move on to, uh, something that I thought was, is really cool. And, and you, and this kind of dovetails from you were talking about being, you want to be authoritative and not authoritarian. Mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to reread that again. Uh, and part of that is
0: dictator versus authoritative, Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. And part of that is helping your teens set up good systems. What does that look like?
0: Yes. Well, you know, uh, we, we all need good habits, um, basically, and so with teenagers, what we want to do is sort of build the scaffolding for them for whatever it is that they're going to need to be able to do on their own, um, you know, when they eventually leave the nest, if they go to college or they go off and live on their own. Um, so, for example, um, we're, you know, a, a really healthy habit Um is to charge your phone outside of your room, not to be on your phone last thing at night and first thing in the morning. I know that a lot of adults have trouble with this too, <laughs> but we're just like the ideal, the vision that we hold for our kids is we do that when they're younger. We um, we build this sort of scaffolding around it. We set up a charging station outside of their room. We check to make sure that they've put the phone there. We, you know, we we... we you know, have a conversation with them about why we're doing it and and get their buy-in to it, but then we're also kind of on them, right, about um, forming this habit. And as they get older, they just start doing it on their own because it goes into the sort of automatic realm of things, right, that, that it, once it becomes a habit. And they also experience that they sleep better and that they feel less anxious and all those kinds of things. They understand the benefits of it. It happens pretty automatically. You know, by the time my kids um, were juniors in high school, the older ones, um, uh, we, you know, we don't do anything with it. They just automatically do it. So you slowly remove the scaffolding, and um, and when we notice that they're not doing, you know, meeting our expectations, right? Like, because of course the phone drifts into their bedroom at night eventually, especially like over vacations and things like that. Um, you know, we just ask them about it. What's your plan, right? How, how like, what's going on? Um, how does it make you feel, right? And, you know, by the time kids are 16 or 17, if you've been at this for a little while, they, they pick themselves back up. Um, and sort of get themselves back on track in in a beautiful way.
1: So speaking of, you know, your phones and and charging them outside your room and and just the struggle that comes from kids and screen time, (laughs) man, I was shocked by the graph on page 76 where mental well-being after one hour of digital screen engagement just drops. (laughs) And so I'm thinking... What I mean? How do I? Because I mean, my kid—they're—they're on their. We're pretty good during the week, right? You know, there's school, there's there's structure, but then it's the weekend. It's a free for all, and I'm thinking, you know, what's the antidote? What do we do as parents to get it down to as close as we can to that hour?
0: I know. Okay, so the first thing is that it's parenting is really important here. There was just this month another study released. Um, about how even with older teenagers um, things having their parents enforce things like bedtimes um, they, the, the parents are have a lot of influence right So uh, the first thing I like p- parents to do with the devices especially is remember that they are the parent. And they might not be able to use social media as well as their kids. They might not be able to do very much relative to their kids. But even older teenagers still need parenting in the virtual worlds that they're spending so much time in. So it is up to us as parents to provide that structure to set the sort of limits. And the best way to do it is to not to just like constantly tell them to get off their phone but to really help them structure their day so that there's just other things happening that they're not so tempted um, all the time. So, in your household, making sure that um, phones are nowhere near the dinner table, for example, yours included, you know, and letting your teenagers police you as well. So... Um, in our household, you know, I, we've just banned phones from the kitchen because, because we eat in the kitchen a lot. And um, so mealtimes can be without phones, getting them used to it, even if they're eating alone, right? Like having some regular mealtimes. The, the car is another um, important one. If you um, live somewhere where you do a lot of driving, making sure that the kids are not on their phones in the car. This is really important um, for when they're driving themselves and really important for us to model as well. But it's also like gives them the, the brain activity is really different when they're driving around looking outside of the car so you know in our household it kind of comes and goes there are times when and, I, and my teenagers are older now um you know so the two older ones are in college and they, they'll come home from college and i'll be like okay we're driving to my parents house the grandparents house and uh it's about a half an hour drive and um all the phones including mine are going in the trunk Right. Because I don't want to deal with it. Right. Like, I don't want to have to remind them. I don't want to have to nag them. Like, we just look for structural solutions wherever we can to. um, And by structural solutions, I mean, like non nagging type solutions like the phone is just not there with you. All
1: right. So let's talk about this focus and uh, how you help your kids. And I think this would help, you know, this would help adults too. You talk about, maybe you just need to have a study hall.
0: So this comes from my own adolescence <laughs> before we had computers, even, right. <laughs> um, I'm older than you. So, um, so I went to a, a boarding school where we just went from seven 30 to nine 30 every single night to a, a room called study hall. And, um, and, and, like we were, we came completely prepared, right? And and maybe some people went to the bathroom, but there was like a proctor and stuff. Like basically, we just sat down and focused for two hours. This is completely mind blowing to most kids today. Like that, you just sat down and read and did your work. You like hand wrote your papers. You you just did it for two hours. This is um this is an in, an interesting sort of case study in focus that, you know, the fact that kids today really have a hard time um, doing the kind of deep work that that as teenagers, most of us did regularly. Like my friends who didn't go to boarding school obviously didn't, you know, go to a room called study hall, but they probably only had like the radio on in the background if there was any form of um, distraction. <laughs> so deep work is important. Focus is important for being both happy and successful. We can't, our kids will never gain any sort of mastery if they can't control their attention. So in our household, we have study hall from, for us, it's from seven to nine um, and it's like quiet. There are no devices and everyone in our household is, is reading or studying. My husband and I read and we actually take turns proctoring it (laughs) because otherwise it doesn't happen.
1: Right. Such such a cool idea. And uh, you heard it from her, you know, it's okay to have the radio on. I'm, you know, here, KTIS, you can have us on.
0: <laughs> you know, actually it's so funny because some, um, some kids actually do better um, when they have a little bit of distraction and especially with creative work. So kids are so used to having a lot of stimulation that bringing a little bit of stimulation in is actually important for, for some kids. Not all kids, but so having the radio on, could, especially if it's playing mostly music, um, is really good. Having like a whole set of different colored highlighters, for example, um, the, all the different colors provides visual stimulation that they're used to. So we have to sort of not be as extreme as we might have been a generation or two ago.
1: Christine, let's talk about this. Just one thing that I know a lot of parents have go through. What do we do when our teen posts something inappropriate on social media? Because, because that's something that, you know, we, our parents never had to deal with, with us. Right.
0: Right. Oh, there's so much that our parents never had to deal with, uh, with us. So your teen probably will post something inappropriate on social media. And this is an opportunity to have a conversation about it. They are learning. This is a very complex tool in a complex age at a complex time in their lives. And um, they, they're going to need guidance about it. So the first response, even though you might be freaking out about it and or very angry, is to calm yourself down and um, and then... Um, open the conversation with, you know, would you be willing to talk about this with me? Um, instead of coming at it in a punitive way, like, you you know, I've deleted Instagram from your phone and you're never going to see your phone ever again, right? The important thing is that you set limits and you stick to your limits. I think it's really important to have clear guidelines with your kids about what's what you deem appropriate and what you don't, and if you're still paying for their cell phone plan, um, or you bought them the device, it's it's the device is yours. You get to say what can and cannot be done. But it, this is an these are really important, difficult teaching moments. And um, starting first with asking them questions: What were you thinking? They're always trying to get attention, right? And so. Um, talking with them about healthier ways to get um, attention from their peers, like really seeing them and what they were doing when they posted something inappropriate. Sometimes it's just a dumb mistake, right? And then they learn from it and they should suffer the consequences, but after you've had the conversation. Other times it's just such a big plea for uh, love and attention that that is the hole that we need to help them fill.
1: You say the only thing that our kids need in the, you're talking in the adaptation section. And I was really surprised you said that, you know, it's, it's reconnection. Why is that?
0: Well, a lot of the the sort of new technologies and the things that are new about this age, it are is causing disconnection. So we think of this generation of kids as being really highly connected, and of course they are connected through the internet, but they're not connected in real life to one another. They're spending a lot less time, for example, hanging out with their friends face to face. And our nation as a whole, not just our kids, is really facing a massive loneliness crisis this is a crisis of disconnection so basically um everything i talk about in the book can be tied in terms of what we can do as parents to help our kids grow up to be healthy and happy and successful um, in their lives are ways that we can help them reconnect to something larger than themselves, to other people in a face-to-face way, to their spirituality, to a sense of meaning and fulfillment because um, that is what this generation most needs, what we all need, but this generation especially.
1: doesn't matter what chapter of life you're in, you may feel like your story is not worth sharing, God is not in it anymore. Know this, that no story ever told could compare to God's great story, and your story is part of it. There's a book called You Can Trust God to Write Your Story and we're going to talk with the authors Nancy and Robert Walgamuth next week here on the 32nd Book Club Podcast.